Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen continues her six-interview series on attachment and expressive arts therapies. Her next guest is art therapist Dr. Gussie Clore discussing expressive therapies in traumatized children. Part two will be released on February 1st. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock. And I am thrilled to present another interview in our series of the Expressive Arts and Attachment-Based Therapy. So my guest today is somebody whose work I've been following for a very long time. I believe I first heard her speak around 2000, uh, where she was at a, an all-day workshop I attended with her. Um, and that person is Gussie Clore. Let me tell you a little bit about Gussie. She is a professor emeritus in the Department of Art and Design and Art Therapy Counseling Program at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. She's the author of Expressive Therapy with Traumatized Children, which came out in 2017. It is a second edition to an earlier book. And there's kind of an interesting story about that book, in particular, the title. So we'll be talking about that in our interview. She has written numerous journal articles and book chapters, and her academic research focuses on art therapy with children, adolescents, and families. Over the course of her career, she's served on editorial boards of the Trauma and Loss Interventions Journal, the American Journal of Art Therapy, and the Art Therapy Journal of the American Art Association. She has been the 2001 award recipient of the Clinician's Award from the American Art Therapy Association. She has retired from her private practice in art therapy in Clayton, Missouri, where she served children, adolescents, and families. She is a practicing artist working in mixed media. So hang on, Dr. Clore will be right up. So Dr. Clore, thank you so much for joining us here on the Attachment Theory and Action podcast. Well, thank you for having me, and you can call me Gussie. Okay, I will call you Gussie, that's easier. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, you know, when I think of you, Gussie, I think you have been talking about attachment issues and trauma issues in children for a very long time. Like, I heard you speak the first time, um, early 2000, and you, you already had a book out by then and, and were talking about these issues in children. You were really ahead of your time. Well, thank you. I, you know, I don't think I ever 
thought of it that way, but it is funny that when I wrote that book, they asked me for a title and I said, well, I think it should be expressive therapy with traumatized children. And the editor said, oh, well, I don't think that would sell. I don't think people want to read about trauma. And so they changed the title to expressive therapy with troubled children, thinking that that would work better. And it was only when I did the second edition that I said, can we now call it expressive therapy with traumatized children? Because that's really what it should have been all along. <laughs> so. Wow. And, how, and what did they obviously said yes, because that's yeah. what it's called. But was there anything else in their response to you about that? Um, no, not really. Um, I don't think anybody really wanted to take ownership of that first decision. So yes. we didn't really get into it. We just yes. let go. Yes. And but I but I do feel like, you know, from day one, that's what the book was about. And and it's very clear if you read both both books that yeah, it's yeah. And wow. so they're they're 17 years apart, right? Correct. Yeah. 2000 and 2017. So this new edition. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just find that really amazing that um, you, you were so uh, ahead of the game and so forward thinking and understanding and wanting to really call this what it was. Yeah, right. Before, before right, others right. were ready to. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they wanted to sanitize the name of the book a little. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what the motivation was, but all I know is that that they, you know, they insisted and I thought, well, who am I? I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, I, I work with these kids every day. It looks like trauma to me, but OK. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Very yes. true. Very true. Yes. Well, so. you know, before we even get into um, your specific work re related to art that you talk about in here. I found even your first chapter about trauma treatment in children really fascinating, um, especially when you are talking about evidence-based practices and this very strong push um, to use TFCBT in you know just about every situation and of trauma. You know, right. that, that's how it feels. Maybe I'm ever stating that, but, but you know, there, there, there's a lot of pressure to do that. And so talk to me a little bit about that, because as I was reading that, I mean, I, I agree with everything you bring up, in the, <laughs> but I was thinking about like, that is so the opposite of expressive arts. Like, I don't even know how anybody that does the kind of work you do could even fit into such a box like that. Well, and here's the thing. I, I think the reason that happened, and it kind of ha started happening in the 90s, I think the reason it happened was that um, insurance companies and administrators wanted evidence for best practices so that we could get people in and out of therapy in the most efficient way and, you know, just, just have a protocol that was proven to be successful and so yeah. they they kind of went down this path of um trauma focused cognitive behavior therapy which does look good in the studies but it's not particularly helpful for the particular population that you and I are talking about yeah. it's fine for people with 
trauma with a, for example, single incident trauma that you can actually have a narrative of it because you know what the trauma is. But the kids that you and I are talking about are children whose whole life was trauma. So you try to get a trauma narrative and where do you begin? There isn't yes. one story. There's there's a conglomeration of multiple stories and not necessarily a cohesive timeline and not cohesive, not necessarily an incident that they can talk about. Their whole life was unsettled and chaotic and and traumatic. And and they may not even realize it as such because it was so normal to them. So, you know, you, you try to fit people into a treatment box and typically, you know, the, the trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy was, you know, like 12 to 16 sessions and it was very mm -hmm. structured and, mm -hmm. you know, it was designed to deal with the, the PTSD symptoms. And so, yeah, that's great, but these kids aren't ready for that. You know, and, and one thing I say in the book is that, you know, for for a lot of people, trauma is really not going to be processed completely until they're an adult, until they can can let go of some of the um you know, just the challenges of growing up, you yes. know, kids just need to get through a day of school without, you know, feeling insecure and having somebody make fun of them. You know, they don't need to be talking about, you know, the most painful thing in their life at that moment. They just got to kind of get through and figure out how to cope. And yes. the thing that amazes me the most about working with this population is how their defenses work for them and how they do manage and how resilient they do become. And, yes. you know, it's it's actually very hopeful. And, um, you know, I, I end up just having total respect for the defense mechanisms that kids use that work. Yes, yes. Well, another point that you bring up in this opening chapter, if I may quote you from page three, um, <laughs> there are some inherent dangers in the assumption of proof of evidence linked to one treatment protocol to the exclusion of others. Right, right. And I've never heard anyone say it quite that way. Yeah, well, you know, because I think, you know, like I, I talked I, just now, I was talking negatively about cognitive behavioral therapy. I use cognitive behavioral therapy sometimes. Yeah. When I appropriate, you know, yeah. and so, yeah. so I think that's the important thing for people to realize is that there is not one way there. You have to look at what does this particular child need at this point in time? Yeah, it you know, the expressive therapies should definitely be a part of every treatment program because yes. there is a time when that is going to be the most successful way to help that child. Yes, yes. And, you know, and then there's a time later after the relationship issues have, have been worked on somewhat that they will be able to more take advantage of a cognitive behavioral, but they can't do that until those parts of the brain are ready. Yes, I, you are preaching to the choir. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate, you know, the offering of clarification that um, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy uh, with the right issues, it's always, it's evidence-based. And what I always say, evidence-based for what? 
it's mm-hmm. like we've completely forgotten that part of it and you mm-hmm. know we just throw models of you know i don't know what it's having a space for something um <laughs> and the so single incident discrete trauma and yeah. then you know this piece of when a client is ready and and looking at the whether we want to call it the neurosequential model whether Mm -hmm. we want to call it the triune brain Mm -hmm. the idea of being in the cortex and doing this verbal processing is often not where kids who have extensive trauma history live you know they're in that lower more primitive part of their brain that you're talking about so i think saying it directly right now another point that you bring out throughout the book is it's not words Mm-mm. no no the kids don't hold their traumas with words they're, and they're emotions yes yes and how art is a can be i mean a wordless mm-hmm. therapy i mean obviously you can you process this talk about it i'm not suggesting that you just create art things and no one says anything but it is a wordless therapy isn't it It is. It is. And what I always see happening is the art comes first. And if words come, it's after the art has been produced. And then the child isn't necessarily talking about the trauma. They're talking about the art. So the the art brings it to the forefront and then it gives them a way to access those feelings because they just put them out there and then it gives them a way to access those feelings whereas if you just ask them to start talking you you're not going to get anywhere um and, and i think that's what therapists often find is that no they don't want to talk about it but right. you know you get a piece of artwork done and then the child will say things that are pretty amazing and and sometimes the insight that they actually have after making art is profound yes well Another thing that you talk about very early on in the book that I I think you're in some ways alluding to here is establishing safety Mm -hmm. through the use of metaphor Mm -hmm. and art um, so that the child can sort of be one step removed from personalizing the event and just creating. I, I, I loved when... Establishing safety through the use of metaphor. That was a beautiful statement. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. What, what does know, that mean to you? You know, what that means is basically that the child will tell a story and they don't need to equate that story to something that happened in their life. That's your need. And so, you know, that's the adult therapist. Say that again. That's not the child's need. That is not the child's need. The child is telling you a story, and that story has deep meaning for that child. You don't need to make connect the dots for that child. And in fact, it's inappropriate sometimes because the child Mm -hmm. is possibly not ready to hear that yet. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always tell my students is most therapists talk too much. Yeah, one of the in the final chapter of the book, you said it now. It's I have it written down, page one ninety three. I was going to tell you my favorite line of the book. Many therapists talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) Here, 
there's all the, these wonderful rich case examples and other wonderful things that we're going to talk about. But I was really happy you said that. <laughs> well, it's true, though. It's true because, you know, and especially with art therapy, they are giving you so much information non-verbally. So stay with that and stay with the words that they are using. Mm -hmm. Don't add words of your own because the richness is in what they have just created and the richness is in their story. So, so don't try to add to it. Just listen, absorb, reflect, and, and keep the child safe with that story. Yes, yes. You go on also to write about that art meets the child at their developmental age, mm -hmm. which may not be the same as their chronological age. And um, I really want you to elaborate on that because you talk about assessment through art of where maybe a child is developmentally, but then there's a whole other piece of of what they create in the art mm -hmm. and, and that gives you insight. Um, so could you talk to listeners a little bit about that? Well, I can give an example that I give in the book actually. And that is that, you know, yes, the art can be used for assessment and there's, there's different layers of assessment. So you might look at art and it will give you an assessment of where a child is cognitively. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you get a different picture from a child. And the example I use in the book is a family drawing for a child who has had severe trauma in the family. And you might see that this child can draw really well. And then you ask them to draw a family drawing and all of a sudden they're drawing at a much lower developmental stage. Yeah. And, and, and it's so obvious when, when you see that difference that there's an emotional reaction happening here. And again, not something you want to talk about with the child because they're not aware of it. Um, but it's something that you as a therapist notice and, and just, just realize, okay, this is a loaded topic for this child and yes. I need to tread very carefully. Yes. Just to go into a little bit more detail of the example in the book, because I personally found it so compelling um, was basically you asked the child to, to draw a picture, I, I believe of themselves and, mm -hmm, and right. it was, you know, developmentally appropriate, pretty, you know, pretty well done for that child's age, appropriate detail, all of right. that. And then when you ask the child to draw his family, it looks totally different. It looks like a completely different child has drawn it. It was really incredible to see those examples that you shared. Yeah, and and you know I see that in many different many different examples of that. Um, I had a situation where I was working with a court case, and we were trying to determine best place for a child to live, and yeah. the drawings were completely different depending on which house the child was drawing, and and it was emotionally different. It was uh -huh. you know it was phenomenal. Um, yes. So, so these, you know, the artwork can give you a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And so there's also been a lot of things being published about art through the lens of neuroscience, I guess would be, I was struggling for the exact way I wanted to, to say that. 
Um, and art therapists, I feel like as I was reading some of that information in your chapter about neuroscience, I almost had this feeling that maybe art therapists are thinking, we knew this all along, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I mean, it's true. We knew art therapy worked, but we didn't know why it worked, Uh you know? And Uh I think that's, that's the wonderful thing about the neuroscience research now is that it's helping us tell, it's helping to tell us why it works. We just saw the results. Yeah. now, Now the evidence is becoming much more, clear you know that that uh, why why art is so effective because it taps into different parts of the brain that verbal verbal therapy doesn't and so yes. it, it particularly taps into the emotional parts of the brain the limbic system and so it it really does we we have evidence through neuroimaging about what happens when people create art and so it, it you know it's just really very verified for us what we already knew yes yes and that um right brain also you know Mm -hmm. that it's it's again not about language but um Mm -hmm. giving using an experiential therapy Mm -hmm. um, for the child um so another thing that you talk about um is using art in therapy is not art therapy. So we should probably put some parameters around what we're saying in terms of someone listening to this and running out and trying this if they're a therapist versus, you know, this. And I'm sure this is hard for you to write about too. You know, what is just in the domain of an art therapist you know, somebody, somebody who maybe identifies as a play therapist or a child therapist might be bringing art into the, the, the session. So I thought, I think that's an important differentiation that people should hear about from you. Well, thank you for asking that. Um, so, you know, I would encourage therapists to bring art into the sessions because it is helpful for kids to help them talk. But I think you also want to know what your scope of training is. And yes. so, so a therapist who brings art into a session, you know, it should remember that that's their goal, that I'm using art because I want to set the child at ease and I want to help the child talk and I want to, you know, use a a material that will help them do that and be more comfortable. An art therapist is going to approach it differently for one reason, because we're trained as artists. And so we have a lot of um, personal experience of using art materials and understanding of the expressive therapy continuum, which basically helps us determine what art materials are appropriate for different people at different points in time, depending on where they are developmentally, where they are emotionally, and um, what parts of the brain you want to tap into. So there's there's a lot of complexity that goes into some of the decision making that an art therapist would make and they're going to respond in in a more art way right you know they're not necessarily going to respond verbally they're not necessarily looking for verbal work being done they're looking for more expressive work um I think both are great you know I, I I I encourage therapists to bring art in, but yeah, to just know the limits of your training and understand that. And, um, you know, there, there's, 
you don't need you don't need an art therapy degree to hand a kid a box of crayons and yes you know but but you might need an art therapy degree to really provide expressive therapy at at a deeper level for what some of these kids are going to mm-hmm. need yes well, Dr. Clore, I am so happy, or Gussie, I'm so happy yeah. to have you here with us. Listeners, um, I hope you will continue uh, listening next week for part two of our interview with Gussie Clore on using art therapy approaches in attachment-based work um, in her book, Expressive therapy with traumatized children (laughs) the revised book um so please join us next week honestly i feel like we're just scratching the surface i'm gonna have to speed it up a little there's so much more in this book so please join us next week as we continue this interview thank you for joining us for this edition of attachment theory in action please follow our site tkcchaddock.org or subscribe on apple podcasts google play spotify or podbean for future podcasts If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.